Pastor Jeff said, I'm, I'm Chase Baker. I'm the family pastor here at Rolling Hills, and I have the privilege of lead, leading a team of people that are just so passionate about the next generation. Um, love leading, leading this team. Love being a part of this church, and love that we have a lead pastor who is so dedicated to investing into the next generation, the, the, the church of, they're really the church of the day, but they're going to take leadership roles of tomorrow. So um, it's really grateful to be here today as we open up this new series called Making History, and and the idea is that we want to make God's story, His story, come alive in the hearts of your family, and I'm so fascinated. Whenever I started preparing for this, I got fascinated by family origins and and family um, dynamics and family stories and those things that have been passed down from generation to generation that makes us who we are today. Why do we, why do our parents acted the way that they did? Maybe why do we act the way that we, that we do? And so while I was thinking about this, some old family photos came up for me, and I just want to show you a little bit of my family. This is my mom's family, her childhood. So my mom is that, that, uh, it's a, the girl to the right, she looks like a boy, but that's a girl. Um, so, and then look at my grandfather, like they took the picture and they didn't have his head in the photo. They're like, okay, we have one shot, snap, and then they cut his head off. So you can't even see his face. That's their family photo. It's great. So here's, here's my dad's side. It's awesome. And here's the funny thing. This is the only family photo that they could find that had them all together. And it really didn't have them all together. They had to take my dad's baby picture individually and put it on top of the family photo so that they can have an all-family photo. Isn't that funny? That's crazy. That's the third child, by the way. That's what happens. You take a lot of pictures, right? Your first kid, your second kid, maybe a little bit, and then your third kid, whatever. Like, he's just another one of the bunch. We'll just add his photo in there. (laughs) And and here is my childhood growing up. Yes, look look at the 80s. What? Why, why the necktie, by the way? I'm not, I'm not like a cowboy. Like, I, didn't, I don't understand why, why that happened. But that's my family photo, so it's fun. But whenever I think about those family photos, I think about the values and the principles and those things that have been passed down from generation to generation. And some, some of those things are really good things that pass down to your parents, pass down um, uh, to, to me, and then I want to pass down to other people. Some of those things you do want to pass down to your kids as well. But I do realize that in this room, that there are those things that you just don't want to pass down. Maybe there's the generational sin that you're, you're, you're the person who says, the buck stops with me. Like, I'm not going to pass this down. I'm going to pass something better on. I want to pass down the love of Jesus and praise God for you. Praise God for you. I love to go back and look at family um, photos. I, when, I think they, whenever you look back, it also causes you to look ahead, doesn't it? And so I get, I get to points where I like to look ahead sometimes, and there's an there's a app that helps you do that. So have you ever heard of FaceApp, by the way? FaceApp, it's kind of a new viral thing that came out. You could take a picture of yourself, and you can age yourself by 30 years. And I was like, why in the culture do we love to do that? Why do we want to age ourselves? But I love it. So I'm going to show you a picture. This is me currently, and then let's age myself by 30 years. Woo! Some wrinkles, some salt and pepper. Um, and, and so you can actually age that by 30 years. So let's age myself by 60 years. Here we go. That's Bob Barker, guys. I'm Bob Barker. 
And I was like, the other two services, I, I didn't really take anybody up on this, but I was thinking, man, maybe if you're an expert in skincare, like I probably need to see you afterwards because I need to start applying this stuff now to prepare me for that. So really the photos makes me think ahead as well. And it makes me think, man, it doesn't take long to get there. If you really think about it, it doesn't take long to get to that moment. And we may think it's just forever, but I'm thinking, man, it's not too long. And what are the things that I want to pass on? What are the things that I want to be about my life that I get to leave a legacy? What are those things that I'm investing into the next generation? How am I making history? And for some of you in the room, you're a parent. Some of you want to be parents. Some of you are teachers, some of you are aunts and uncles, some of you caregivers, or you play another role, grandparents, whatever, whatever role you play in the family unit, the reality is you're passing something down wherever you are. You're passing down thoughts, ideas, beliefs. You're passing that down to the next generation. That's why we wanted to call this series Making History, wherever you are on the family tree. You're making history, and we want to reframe that for us over the course of this series, that we want to make God's story come alive in the hearts of our family, because the reality is that we cannot squander our greatest resource, and that's the next generation. Before we get in today, let me pray for us. Father, I'm so thankful for you. Thankful for this time of worship that we've had, such a sweet time of worship and God, I pray that as we dive into your words, that we are forever changed by them. That your word does not return void. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. That God, it, it should change us from the inside out. And my prayer for myself is that before I walk out those doors, you have said, you've spoken to me in a way that changes something about who I am. That it would draw me to yourself. And it would cause me to be more passionate about you and that I would take steps towards you today. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you have your copy of scripture, we're gonna to turn to Deuteronomy chapter six. Deuteronomy chapter six in the Old Testament, fifth book of the Bible. If you didn't know that, you can pull out your device, your mobile app on your phone, or the verses are going to be on the screen. But we are in this moment of time in history, Deuteronomy chapter six. It's the Israelites are actually at the edge of the Jordan River. They're looking across the Jordan River and they're seeing the promised land, the land of Canaan, but it's not the first time they've been in this exact moment moment. You see, 40 years before this moment, God, God rescued the Israelites from the hand of Pharaoh, from slavery, from Egypt, and he used a guy named Moses to lead them out of slavery. He said, you're my guy. You're going to lead hundreds of thousands of people to the promised land. Okay, he, he had a land, that, the land of Canaan promise, and so that's what Moses did. He led these people to the edge of the Jordan River, and they were in, in that spot. They were looking over the Jordan River, and, or over the Jordan River to the promised land, and Moses sent 12 spies. Remember? Sent, sent 12 spies over there to get a report and report back, or to, to gather information and report back. And so two of those reported back, Caleb and Joshua, and they said, man, this land is flowing with milk and honey. This land is amazing. We've got to go now. We've got to go take over this land. It's really awesome. And 10 came back and said, man, I don't think so. 
The inhabitants of this land are bigger than stronger than we are. There is no way. So they chose to follow the 10 rather than the two, which was a direct disobedience to God. And you know what God did? God said, as a punishment, you're gonna, you're gonna walk around the desert for another 40 years. And a generation of people died off and didn't get to experience the promised land. And now, Deuteronomy 6, we're at the edge of the promised land yet again, but this is a new generation. This is the next generation of people that are standing at the edge of the promised land, or at the, at the Jordan, looking over at the promised land. And Moses is still around, by the way. Moses is still the leader, and he, and he, knows, he knows this. He knows that he's not gonna be the one to lead the people into the promised land, but he's gotta be the person who prepares them to go to the promised land. And, and God has a conversation with Moses, and it goes something like this. In Deuteronomy chapter 3, we're going to go back and jump ahead. God tells Moses, he said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go up to the top of Mount Pisgah and look to the west and north and south and east. Look at the land with your own eyes, since you're not going to cross this Jordan. But commission Joshua and encourage and strengthen him. For he will lead this people across and will cause them to inherit the land that you will see. And I'm, getting, I'm, I'm looking at Moses and I'm saying, can you imagine how this guy is feeling in this moment? That God tells this guy who's been a, a leader of the Israelite people for years and years and years, I want you to go to the top of this mountain, but I want you to look over to a land that you're not ever going to experience. And imagine he's trying to give Moses a vision for this. He's, now he's, he's looking at, over at this land, and he's, he's, he's looking at the people. He's looking at the land, and he's looking at the people. And he's getting a vision for what he wants the next generation to go and do. Because he certainly doesn't want the next generation to end up like his generation. And so this was a generation of people that Moses would be commissioning to a future that he wouldn't see. And he knows what, what he says next is going to matter. He knows that his, what he sa says next is going to be a big deal. And what he does next is going to be a big deal. You see, here's the reality. And here may be the greatest point of today that I'm going to give you. Is that our kids are the messengers that we're sending to a future that we won't see. Our kids are the messengers we're sending to a future that we will not see. And we have to ask ourselves, what are we giving them? What kind of message are we sending with them? Are we sending a message that's eternal or temporary? See, shortly after this mountaintop experience that Moses has, he has to gather himself. He's about to give the greatest speech of his life. He's got to say words that encourage the next generation on what they are to do next and how are they, they are to live a long life and prosper and, and live for God. He doesn't want them to make the same mistakes. And so he begins to speak. And in, that, in, the, in those next chapters there, three, in chapter four, he lays out the 10 commandments yet again for the Israelites. He lays out other decrees and commands for the Israelites. And then he says this, Deuteronomy 6, verse one through two, if you can follow along. These are the commands, decrees, and laws that the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you're going to cross the, uh, are crossing the, the Jordan to possess so that you, your children, and their children after them will fear the Lord our, your God as long as you live by keeping all the decrees and commands that I give you and so that you may enjoy a long life. So he lists out all these commands and and then 
And then he tells the Israelites one of the most famous verses of all time, one that's been quoted a million times over. And, and you may know this, you may have this memorized by heart. And it's, it's Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 5. It says, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments I give to you today are to be on your hearts you see, these two verses historically have been considered the essence of God's person and what he, in our response to who God is. It's like the Twitter version of that. You see, there's 16 Hebrew words that make up this text about it's the central tenet of who God is and what God wants in, in our response to be to who God is. These two verses are called the Shema. And Shema means to hear. And that word hear means to obey. So to hear these verses and not obey them, in effect, is not to hear them at all. So here we get this, this list of commands, and he, he, Moses is saying, you need to obey this and obey that. Do the, you live for God by obeying these decrees, laws, commands. And then all of a sudden, after all these obeying, then suddenly we're to love God? It's like spiritual whiplash. Like why, why is love brought up? What does love have to do with obedience? What does love have to do with obeying commands? And the answer is everything. Everything. You see, love and obedience is synonymous. It's one and the same in this passage. We find this theme throughout the Old and New Testament. Jesus himself said these words. If you love me, you will what? Keep my commandments. You see, love and obedience go hand in hand. If we want to love God, we are to obey, obey him. And through the, 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 the Shema, is that Moses was really focusing on the importance of loving God. But then we get to the New Testament. And the Shema shows up again. Jesus actually takes the Shema written for a group of people and reframed it for everyone. He re reframed it even for us today. And here's what I mean by it. In Matthew chapter 22, Jesus has an encounter with Pharisees. These Pharisees were experts in religious law. They knew the law like the back of their hand. And they knew that there was like 613 of these laws. And so they were going to trap Jesus into saying something maybe that's against the law. And so they came to Jesus. One of the experts spoke up and he said, hey, what's the greatest commandment in all the law? And Jesus, you know what he does? He quotes the Shema. And he says this. He said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Awesome. And imagine a moment, Pharisees like, oh, he quoted the Shema. That's great. Like, but then he added to it. If you can recall, he says this. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, why is that significant to us today? Because Jesus was not only adding to the command, but he also took something out. What did he take out? Look at the first three words. Hear, O Israel. He took out a group of people. Well, why did he take out a, a group of people? Because when Jesus came to, he came to establish a new covenant, it wasn't just for a select group of people. It was for everybody, everywhere. It wasn't just for the nation of Israel. It was for everybody, everywhere. So Jesus added a command. And a command extended to all people. So now he told this group of Pharisees to love people as well, to love all people. Was it? Historically, it was just about Israel. 
it was just about the Jewish people. And Jesus like, no, 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 no. This idea extends to all people. You see, Jesus was making sure that when they recite the Shema, that there was an inclusion that needed to happen that hasn't happened yet. It hadn't happened. So they're like, include this. And then we get to verse six in Deuteronomy. These commandments that I've given you today are to be on your hearts, impress them on your children, talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk on the road and when you lie down and when you get up, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. And here's the funny thing, that the first thing that we must do in, to, in order to raise our kids to know and love Jesus, the first thing, ironically, has nothing to do with our kids. It has everything to do with us as parents, as grandparents, as adults. It has everything to do with us. And God is saying, if we're not taking God seriously, if we're not doing the things, if we don't really God, love God with everything, how in the world can we expect the next generation to? How in the world can we expect our kids to do the same thing? Our kids' spiritual direction most often depends on our spiritual direction. <clears throat> See, meaning we can't take our kids to places that we've never been before. So for the parent in the room, in family ministry, we always talk about the, the parent, if I'm talking specifically to you, that you are the primary spiritual influence of your home. You're the primary spiritual discipler of your home. And that what we get to do, we get to come alongside you and part, partner with you in that discipleship process. That we are partnering with parents. You see, we believe here at Rolling Hills that discipleship is so important that discipling kids plus partnering with parents means we have stronger families. That we have stronger families. And I, look, look you're, you're your kid's first stop of them knowing who Jesus is. You're their first stop. And I realize that there might be some parents in the room that might say, man, I just, I don't have what it takes. And let me just comfort you in this moment and just say, you don't have what it takes. And neither do I. You see, here's what I know to be true. Whenever we take steps of faith to follow Jesus, whenever we make decisions to, to advance our relationship with God, here's what happens. Ephesians 3, 20 through 21 happens. And it says this, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to what? His power at work within us. Not Pastor Jeff's power, not anybody up on this stage's power, not some guy who's teaching God's word power, but it's his power at work through us. To him be the glory in the church, in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever, amen. If we believe these words to be true, then our job is pretty simple. Our job is to follow. Our job is to love God. And then he's gonna give us the tools that we need. Every family, every family dedication that I have the privilege of leading, there's one thing that I always say to our families. I say, God has chosen you to be the parent of your child and nobody else. And God will equip you to be the parent of your child like nobody else. That God's gonna give you the resources. And when we begin to take steps of faith of following God and loving him, then verse seven can happen, guys. Verse seven can happen at this point. And it says, impress them 
on your children. Impress them on your children. This command to love God, impress. That idea of impress means to influence, affect, stir, imprint on your children. In other words, we have to model the behavior that we want to see. We have to model the behavior that we want to see. This is all about setting priorities for ourselves so that our family can follow. You know, those are, I ask myself this question a lot. (laughs) Is it what are the things that I unintentionally or intentionally model for my kids? Or what are those things that I intentionally or unintentionally set as priorities for my family? You see, for some reason within our culture, we've allowed more affluence, more activities, more travel, and potentially more tradition to dictate the faith of our family. See, Moses is looking at a group of, of uh, kids and adults, the next generation. He's looking at them, and he's thinking, man, I don't want them to miss out on the promises of God like we did. I, I look, I'm, I'm, I imagine Moses is looking in the eyes of the next generation thinking, man, I know what it's like to set wrong, wrong priorities and I know what it leads to. I know what destruction it leads to. I don't want this, this generation to have the same thing. I wanna, I wanna model a behavior that I wanna see. I wanna coach, I wanna train the next generation to know and love God. I don't want them to miss out on the promises of God. See, here's what I think we tend to do. I think we let other things set priorities for us. I know this is hard, but we might say things like this. I really wanna take steps of faith in my relationship with the Lord, but I'm just way too busy. I'm just way too busy. My schedule has gotten the best of me. I just can't manage it. Or maybe you've said things like this. This year is going to look different for me and my family, but you can't seem to make the hard decisions to cut that thing out. Or you may say, man, my, my, I know that I need biblical community. I know that my kids need b- biblical community. And then you sacrifice time. You sacrifice that time and give it to other things or someone or someone else. And I'm thinking, well, why does this happen? Why does this happen for us? Why, why have we come to this place? Because if you're like me, we tend to say statements like, I want my kids to experience the things that I didn't get to experience. Right? Have you ever said that? Like, there's nothing wrong with it. But I think if we live by that motto, then we, so within our culture, then Pastor Andy Stanley says it like this. He's a pastor of North Point Community Church in Atlanta, Georgia. He, would say, he says this, then we would have the tendency to make our kids experience rich and relationally poor. Experience rich and relationally poor. Experience rich is not a bad thing, but at the expense of relationships, it could be. So how, how is this played out? So how, how do I know that we can be experience rich and relationally poor? I think it plays out over time. I think practically speaking, it may look like this. Everybody gets to the ball game and in gymnastics on time, but we never have a meal together. We never hang out together. Well, I, I, maybe, maybe, maybe we can't remember the last time we've, we've taken 10, 10 or 15 minutes to sit down and connect with the next generation. See, if we're not careful, we can measure parenthood by GPAs and activity rather than monitor or grade ourselves on the depth and maturity of the relationships. <laughs> That's why we have to model a behavior that we want to see. You see, Jesus 
himself would say that the depth and maturity of relationships come first through a relationship with God through himself. And the way that we love Jesus ultimately will be a precursor to how our kids love Jesus. And the way that we love him will ultimately be a precursor to how, how we teach them to, how, how to treat other people and love other people well. You see, our, our kids experience God through the, through the lens of how we experience God. Our, our kids experience, experience God through the lens of how we see and experience God. See, our experiences should never replace our kids' need for authentic relationships, especially a relationship with God and with, with his people. See, because of this, that's why we have to model a behavior that we want to see. And here's what I love about God. God gives us these ideas and then he gets really practical. So I want to leave you with something. I want to, I want to, I want to show you where, where you can do this throughout your day. And he says this. Talk about them when you sit, sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. In other words, be intentional. Be intentional. It's not, not perfect, but be intentional. You see, God lists out specific times a day where we can be intentional. Let me just throw those up in modern day language. Morning time, drive time, meal time, and bedtime. Like we, can have, we have the opportunity to take advantage of those times and be intentional with our kids' spiritual journey. We can read God's word to them. We can pray for your kids in the morning before they leave for school. We can, we can pray for them as we're driving to school. And by the way, one of the best conversations started, one of the best places to have conversations is in the, on the drive home. Right? We have a captive, captive audience. And that's a great place to connect Maybe share a meal together and model this idea of thankfulness towards a holy God. Allow your kids, <laughs> allow your kids to catch you reading God's word. Allow them to catch you reading God's word. Allow them to catch you praying. Allow them to catch you serving others and loving others. And here's something that I'm pretty passionate about as well is allow them to have another consistent uh, loving adult in their lives that continually point them to Jesus. Super passionate about that. That's why all over this building we have people serving in the next generation. Uh, people that are, are teaching our kids to know and follow Jesus. You see, I have a three-year-old. Her name is Kit. And I know that she's going, she's going to need, and she does need another voice in her life to point her to Jesus. She needs somebody else besides her parents to say, you are loved by God. She needs somebody else to, to tell her, that, to encourage her in her faith journey. And especially whenever she has doubts, I need somebody else to, to look at her in the eye and say, you have potential. That God has a plan for your life. You know, you know how I know that's important is because somebody did it for me. The Miss Mary, the Miss Vicky, the Mr. Leroy, who Mr. Leroy was in my middle school years, man. And, and those were some rough years for me, by the way. I had um, just, you know, the, the awkwardness of middle school. And he was a consistent president in my life. And I showed up every week to a Sunday morning and he would be the guy that would be super encouraging. He would be silly with me, but he would let me know that, that everything's gonna be okay. He would laugh with me. And then there's Mr. Mark, Mr. Mark, man. Mr. Mark would sit eye to eye with me whenever I was in high school. He would knee to knee, eye to eye, and he would look me in the eye and said, man, you have potential that God's gonna use you in a big way. 
Even whenever I didn't believe it about myself, he would continue to tell me that over and over and over again. And remember, you don't have to be perfect. You just have to be intentional. And you say, Chase, but, but you haven't been in my, phone, my, my home. I feel like such a failure. Let me tell you for a second that God is not, God is not bound by your failures as a parent or your perceived failures, because some of you may, may be in the room, you're like, man, my kids have just messed up bad. They, they messed up in the past. Maybe they're, they're messing up bad right now. Maybe this is your adult children that, that are messing up. Let me remind you that his grace is bigger than our sin. He's not bound by your child's sin, neither he's bound by your sin. He has a plan that we may know nothing of, and what he wants us to do is trust him because he is our father. And trust him no matter what. The greatest thing that you and I can possibly do to impact the faith of our children is to love and follow Jesus more than ever before. That we have to be intentional about how we follow Jesus well. Be intentional. Second thing is this. Repeat the most important things. Repeat the most important things. You know, there's power whenever we repeat words. There's power when we repeat values or principles or behavior because volume, volume speaks value. Volume speaks value. I know there's many of you that, that, are, that, that repeat things over and over again. You, put, you repeat the good stuff, man. You want them to know Jesus. You repeat Jesus in your home. And you do things throughout the day that, that are on repeat because you know that when you put it on repeat, it shows the value in it. And for some of you, you know, um, you make the most out of your bedtimes too. You have a bedtime routine that you put on repeat, certain books that you read, you read a Bible story, or you pray with your kids. There's a couple of things that we've done with my daughter, Kit. By the way, here is Kit right here. <laughs> That's her in a nutshell. Um, one of the things we do at bedtime is we, we ask her, what is one thing that you're thankful for? today. We, we want to create in her an attitude of gratitude. And so that starts with thankfulness, right? And sometimes you'll say Milo, which is our dog. It's a five-pound Yorkie. Um, uh, sometimes you'll say mom and data, and sometimes you'll say nothing. I was like, okay, we have, we have work to do because there's always something to be thankful for. And so we'll say what we're thankful for. We'll pray together. We'll allow her to pray to get her involved with the, the prayer. But also we want her to to know that we, we have a family motto. And so we have this motto that we repeat. Courtney came up with it. I can't steal it. It's, uh, I, but I love it. I use it. We repeat it all the time. So right before bed, we say, we say these words. We say, Kit, you know, you, we don't do anything to hurt ourselves. We don't do any, anything to hurt others because we're bakers and bakers love people. We want her to, to repeat that over and over again. We want that to be a part of her vernacular. We want that to be a part of her life, but we know that we have to use that in certain parts of the day over and over again. So we find moments where we can have these teachable moments to, to say this motto, motto again. So we love to play games at our house. And there was one day where Courtney and Kit were playing games and it was Candyland, I think. I think they were playing Candyland and, and Kit's three at this point in time. So we love games, we love competition. And so Courtney's playing this game with her and she wins this day. She won Candyland. It was a big deal. She's like, woo! 
really screaming and, and having a good time. And Courtney's like, this is a teachable moment for us. Because what we want to do is love people even when we win, right? We, we want to be good sportsmanship. So she's running through this thing with Kit. She's like, okay, we don't do this ourselves. We don't do others because we're bakers. And she's trying to get her to say it, right? Because we're bakers. And Kit's like, and bakers love to win. <laughs> you're right. We do. We do. But you're not getting the point. <laughs> See, volume speaks value. And we may not get it right away, but over time, what we hope is that, man, she is just so passionate about loving God, but loving people as well. And loving all people. That that becomes a part of it. Whenever you push repeat on the things, what are those things that you're repeating over and over again for your kids? Or do you have Jesus on repeat in your home? <laughs> do you have Jesus on repeat? The last thing is this. Start with the end. Start with the end in mind. Can you get a vision for the future of this generation? If our kids are the messengers that we're sending to a future that we won't see, then let's equip them with the greatest message of all time. <laughs> let's equip them with the message of Jesus, the hope and the joy that comes through a relationship with Jesus, that they can have an authentic, personal relationship with Jesus. One of the verses that scares me more than anything in the Bible, it comes from Judges 2.10, and it says this, after the whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, get this, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Scares me to death. And here's what, here's what we say as a church. This is not going to happen on our watch. This, this can't happen on our watch. Sometimes I feel like we're Moses. We're trying to coach and train and lead. And we're looking at that generation in the faces and saying, I know what happened, what can happen when you don't set priorities right. So here's what you do. We want to teach them to serve others, to care for the least, to love his church, to invest in people, that we have an opportunity as a church family, as a people of God, to make history, to make God's story come alive in the heart of the next generation here at Rolling Hills, man. And here, here's what I would say, too. This is, this is not just for the parent section of, this is for, for the whole church to rally around. This is for everybody. And over the next four weeks, we're going to cast that vision that everybody is participating on this journey, no matter what age you are, that we are all responsible for, for making history, making God's story come alive in the hearts of our family, by the way. But here at Rolling Hills, man, one of the things I tell teenagers this all the time, and if you, maybe you talk to some of them, that they, they'll be able to tell you this, that, that we're really not interested in graduating nice or good kids. You're like, what? Yeah, I think that's great. But you know what we're interested in? Graduating, graduating kids who are passionate about Jesus. We're gonna make a difference for the kingdom of God. We're gonna live for eternity and not live for themselves. We're gonna find their place within the church. We're gonna love people well. 
who are going to love God well. Church, we have a mission. And a part of that mission is to teach the next generation what it means to love God and love people well. Let me pray for us. Father, this is such a high calling for us. As I look at this idea of making history and making your story come alive in the hearts of our family, God, what immediately comes to mind is me and my family. God, I don't want to miss it. So I pray that prayer over all of us today is help us to not miss it. Help us to prioritize things where we're, we're taking steps towards you, Jesus. And we're loving you. And we're loving other people as a result of us loving you so much. So God, I pray as a church family, as individual families here, or individuals here, that we would today mark, put a mark on today and say, yeah, I want to do my part. I want to love you well, and I want to love people well, and I want to model that for the next generation. God, thank you. Thank you that we, we're in a church that, that invests back, that we're preparing our kids for a future that we're not going to see, and we need to prepare them for a good message of Jesus. God, thank you so much for this day. I pray blessings on over all these people. I pray as we go out, that we live out our faith in such a way that people are drawn to your love and your mercy and your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.